Hi, I'm Elise Kennedy. Welcome to Jardin's Startup Tech Series, where we host entrepreneurs, venture funds, and technology companies on trends across the industry. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Jan Packus, founder and CEO of Alternative Protein Company, or G Foods. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Elise, and a pleasure to be on this podcast, soon to be best podcast in the country. <laughs> Oh, with the roundup of all the companies we're getting, we hope so. But I think it's you who's doing all the great work. So let's uh, delve more into the company. What does all G Foods do? Sure. So look, in, in its simplistic form, we're an alternative protein company. And uh, we're a technology company that basically replaces conventional meat and dairy with plant-based meat and identical dairy DNA achieved through a technology called precision fermentation. That's a two-sentence kind of summary, but okay. uh, there's, of course, much more to it. Fantastic. Well, let's go into the origins of the problem that you're solving. What is it? So every kind of 30 years, the world needs to double protein, right? That's just uh, been a historical pattern as we have more people on the planet and as more and more people move to a higher middle class, they just uh, their consumption of food increases. And so if you kind of look at the predictions, the protein needs both in terms of meat and dairy will double over the next 30 years. And so it's a combined, it's approximately $2 trillion industry. Not many people know that, but it's one of the three largest industries in the world. And so you need to double that industry over the next 30 years. And so, you know, supplying double the cows and pigs and and uh, and and kind of classic uh, meat and dairy farms is probably not the solution simply given the constraints that we have on uh, resources land water and also co2 so we got to come up with additional supply to to simply feed the world yeah yeah and who are the customers that you're getting is it um your mainstream customer are you selling to businesses yeah so you know, very kind of, if I go back, you know, the, the industry that we're operating in does have potentially or has had a bit of a negative labeling with we're only here for the vegans. And we absolutely want to change that, right? We're very mainstream for any consumers. So I'd say our customers is anybody. Mm. On this call, anybody in the world, uh, we're not labeling ourselves at all as a greenie, as a vegan company. We want to give you products that actually in a blind sense we've had that you won't be able to recognize that it's not meat you'll be completely confused and you won't be able to recognize because dna why it is identical milk yeah and i've heard that you had one of the highest seed fundings um which just shows that it is becoming more increasingly mainstream i'd love to understand a little bit about you know are you selling to um large chains or are you going direct to consumer that you go through your website can you talk a bit more about that side sure so uh no we're very privileged about the seed funding and uh and uh much more to come because our ambitions are global from day one and yes obviously we're starting in australia but uh, we're already now talking to international markets. There's a lot of interest uh, in Asia, which is a big growth priority. In terms of go-to-market, it's uh, in its simplistic form. It's two main channels. It's uh, it's cons it's consumers through retail. Mm -hmm. So again, the Australian retail landscape would be pretty much well known. It's Coles, Woolworth, uh, IG, Met, Cash, Aldi. 
and then it's food service and food service or out of home, which is basically any cafes, restaurants, hotels, uh, direct uh, meal subscription services and so on. So these are the kind of 95, the, the channels that we have. And there's, of course, a number of partners that uh, give us distribution privilege over, over maybe other companies. Great. And how do you reach these customers? You mean the end consumer or? Yeah, just how you're finding the, uh, you know, if you're moving into a new market, how do you start to get yeah. these products? Look, so we, we only launched commercially about two months ago and feedback has been exceptionally positive, but it is still, I'd say, I think to be fair, it's too early to tell. Mm-hmm. Uh I think the the feedback from many, if you wouldn't, if you, I'm confident it's not a, it's not a kind of second bad experience. You know, I mean, myself, I love Nusa. I always go there into the surf club. I'm vegetarian myself. I want to have the veggie burger and and like, I don't want to use any bad words, but it's just not eatable. And uh, so what you want to have is that you have a, that you have a product and you actually are not able to tell the difference. And I think that's how you're really going to drive mass adoption. Right. We we're not wanna positioning we do not want to position the brand as a preachy brand that uh, you know typically divides consumers. I'm a carnivore, meat eater, I'm a vegan. You have a lot of negative equations around that. We're a brand for everybody that unites the people around the barbecue or around the, the dinner table. And and yes, we happen to be plant-based, so we happen to be uh, biotech-based in terms of in get, getting there to the end product. Fantastic. Now, let's talk about the industry. You mentioned, I think, $2 trillion, if I recall correctly, and, and, and growing strongly. Do you have any other numbers around, you know, what is that target market that you as a business are, are looking at? Is it just Australia? Is there something more geographic? And, and what is that growth? Yeah, so look, I mean, globally, you know, it is meat is 1.3 trillion US. Uh, dairy globally is 900 billion US. So it's over $2 trillion. So if you really look at, if you take a very long-term view, 30 years, I think there'll be multiple, multiple, multi-billion dollar companies created, right? I think we're, it, we're uh, the, the analogy that I'd use is uh, 100 years ago, when the first cars started to replace horses as a transport technology, it started very slowly, right? It took maybe five to 10 years to get a 1% penetration. But then once you reach a certain technological advancement in terms of price point, in terms of acceptability, it's it's taken world by storm. And, and 20, 30 years later, you, you know what happened, right? And uh, and I believe, it, again, if you kind of look at, for instance, even just in Australia, you look at the top 100 food companies, there's 25 of them are meat companies. We just don't know about them, right? Because it's not the most kind of obvious industry. And, and, and many, many of them are multi-billion dollars of revenues, and equally, so many of dairy companies. So if you kind of take a long-term view, 30 years, that you need to double that capacity, you can kind of project how many new additional players there'll be. Some of them will be global, some of them will be local, some of them will be regional. You know, I think it's it's not at all a winner-take-all. Mm. It's not like in uh, kind of you have a marketplace, which is one of the companies that are founded where the premium for being number one is significant. Mm. Again, to use the example of a, you know, 100 years ago, cars replacing horses uh, that probably were, I don't know, 50, 60 global brands created. And, and it's, a, it's a very difficult discussion. What is, the, what is the better car, right? Is it BMW or is it Mercedes? Like we could argue to death. And uh, I will tell you it's absolutely BMW because that's what <laughs> I'm driving. But I'm sure I'll find, uh, 
uh, a lot of people with a different opinion. And and I think, again, in terms of uh, taste preferences, you need to reach a certain threshold in terms of taste and nutrition that it becomes equal or, I say, potentially better. And I'm confident we can engineer that better than than uh, real meat. And then then it comes down to branding preferences. It comes down to kind of, I like this more, I like that more. Yeah, but it is interesting to talk about the market opportunity and, yeah, the analogy with the cars. What do you think is driving the industry growth? Do you think you're seeing a resurgence in a consumer being more aware or is it your taste demands? What When you think about the industry, what is the key drivers that we can look at and think, yeah, this is why we should see this industry grow? Yeah, so look, there's a number of drivers. I mean, there's a there's a demand-driven kind of macro demand, which explains simply the need for more protein. But then as, there's obviously we as consumers make choices. And the, there's a combination of choices. Some of the choices are simply health choices. Some of the choices are sustainability-driven choices. Some of the choices are, I think that's the main choices, are simply people say, and I think that's the biggest market opportunity. Yeah, you know what? I do not want to have meat seven days a week, three meals a day. I reduce it to maybe five days a week. And, and if you do that, you, you massively contribute to your kind of emissions and CO2 footprint, as well as to your health, as well as a more balanced diet. So I think that's the kind of personal driver. But then, you know, I think particularly younger consumers like just are attracted by the brands. Like you have other brands that stand for something and just identify with, with themselves, right? And it's happening again, it's, it's happening in all industries. So, so I think it's a combination of drivers. And look, last but not least, there's been a lot of investment, right? Like five years ago, I think uh, the global investments that were Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat is the two most known companies. But if you look at last year alone, the alternative protein industry attracted, I think, uh, 4 billion US venture capital in a, in a pretty bad COVID year. And that number keeps massively growing every year and year. So, of course, you know, that fuels more innovation that result in better products, more distribution and so on. Yeah, absolutely. We are seeing it in our listed space coming through, as you mentioned, of those two to stocks and the demand and the growth, um, which is why we're always keen to get businesses like your, yours uh, that are listed or not listed, but uh, origins in Australia. Um, in terms of the competitive landscape, um, you know, you're in Australia, you mentioned Asia as well. Are there any other listed stocks that we can compare to? And how do you think about, you know, how do you go head to head with them or is it space for everybody? Yeah. So, look, the most kind of prominent listing stock would be Beyond Meat, as an example. They're, from memory, they had the most successful IPO in the last 30 years in the US. They listed at 1.5 billion. And on day one, we're trading around 5 billion, so had a 330% jump. Now we're trading around 10 billion or 8 billion, don't know exactly, on a $400 million revenue run rate, right? And no profitability, kind of typical <laughs> US uh, valuations. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, so that you know, you had recently, I think two months ago, Oatly, which is oat milk, uh, floated as well, and it's a crazy valuation as well. I think trading around seventeen billion US on four hundred million dollar valuation, but it's all look, it's the the market's pricing in that once you have global branding power, mm. and once you have uh, the assets and the R and D, and you're still growing very, very fast year and year. It's just if you project the numbers, how you're going to look like in ten to fifteen years. Yeah. It'll be a substantial business. Like you're creating the new 
form of Unilevers or those those really large large multinationals. Yeah. Now, look, in that, the the plan that's the plant based meat or plant based protein space that's been around for I'd say seven eight years. Mm-hmm. In the identical kind of uh, or or achieving products through precision fermentation, that's a much much younger technology. There's no listed companies yet. Mm-hmm. There's we're one of approximately only 10 companies in the globe who are doing that. And I think over the next five years, you're going to see exponential funding rounds. They will be listings with crazy premiums. We know, in fact, there's, there's two companies who just recently attracted excessive funding rounds. Perfect Day just raised 400 million US on 1.3 billion uh, uh, pre-money. And, uh, and uh, we believe our technology is not far behind behind them because we we can, as one of very, very few companies globally, create identical dairy proteins, which means, again, it's not plant-based. It's uh, we really, we take a cell from the cow and we we grow it at 10,000 times the speed so that it replicates itself into identical dairy proteins. And again, if you kind of look at the, disruption, the disruptive potential of this, that... Uh, I think in, in, in five years, potentially less, we will be able to make it at a better price point than the dairy industry. We can almost, let's say, design it better than what the dairy industry is. We can make only A2, we can make lactose-free, we can program the cells how we want it. So if you look at the disruptive potential of this, that, that I don't know, New Zealand company, I mean, Jardins a New Zealand <laughs> uh, fund, right? So, so Fonterra, 16 billion dollars of revenues from memory we can come up with uh, with products that are nutritionally better mm. and cheaper like it's a significant size of the price right and uh, and so so again i'm not a judge in terms of how those things will be valued but it is a big market it is growing fast there's both macro drivers as well as consumer micro drivers you touched on the R&D component there. I'm curious to know how easily is it to, to replicate your business? Can anybody come in and start this? <laughs> yeah, look, it's, it's, <laughs> that's, that's a great question. I think it's very hard and, and I'm very privileged that I had the luck to recruit Australian or I'd say even globally the best of the best recognized scientist, uh, Dr. Jared Rains, who's, who's our CTO precision implementation, was the first person in the world who has assembled a, a stable case in my cell. It's a bit of a technical term, but that's the building block of milk. He mm-hmm. was the first on the globe. And so we have him, which we're very privileged, right? And, and companies that are significantly better funded to us than us, then they consistently reach out to him because, of course, he's a global expert. How can we do this? You know, we need help and so on. So it is a very, very unique uh, and scarce skill. And we were, of course, building much more capability in-house in, and we're, of course, lodging patents, right? Because you want your technology to, to be protected. So so I think it is pretty hard. Yeah. And, and I think also particularly in precision fermentation, because it is such a young industry, there's not a lot of, like, you just can't go on LinkedIn and see who <laughs> will do this. You need to be very, very targeted. We're recruiting some articles because that's where the technology has been used to a certain extent in the past. So, uh, so yeah, I think it's pretty hard. Of course, you know, we, we're creating patents and, uh, and, but I think in 10, 15 years, you know, the, the whole ecosystem as well as the industry will become significantly bigger 
I'd love to hear your thoughts, Jan, because, you know, you've got the incumbents and you mentioned Fonterra um, as one of several others, a Unilever, another one. You know, that, why can't they use their budgets to just go shoot the lights out in this segment? Um, I know from the tech side, uh, we've always had that challenge that these quick and nimble smaller companies can, you know, disrupt these larger ones. Is that a same theme that, that happened in, in your world? Well, I think it's very similar, right? And and I'll need to be careful what I say because I just recruited uh, uh, two of my executives from Unilever, <laughs> and they uh, <laughs> and they are happy to take a pay cut, and are so excited to be on our side. And it's very interesting because Unilever just uh, I think acquired for half a billion dollar a plant based meat company called the Vegetarian Butcher. It's a pretty good product. They couldn't do it themselves, so they bought a. It's not a startup. It's a scale up. But uh, then you hear the stories how how just then you corporatize it, you you add a layer of cost, you add a layer of complexity, you kill the speed and the entrepreneurship. Mm. There's just so many competing agendas. Until you roll it out, it just becomes very very slow, and uh, without kind of revealing too many internal <laughs> insights, I think uh, you know that's where the the younger, uh, much more focused and targeted companies have an edge. Mm. And uh, and I think it's also, of course, you know, the people that you recruit, they're all very much attracted about your mission and uh, and solely focused. And it is it is easier to execute. I think it's again, it's it's yes, you'd argue Unilever has more capital and and have brand equity, but I think it becomes easier and easier to attract capital and build a brand pretty quickly. So, but look, I, at the same time, I wouldn't underestimate them because, of course. Sitting in a lot of cash, you know, Nestle, you know, all the big multinationals said that it, alternative protein is a huge, huge priority for them. So, so they're certainly, there's a, they're a competitor to, to, uh, to that we, that we're counting on or that we expect will yeah. ramp up. Yeah. And then moving on to some of the economics of the business, always the earliest stage. It's all about investing. It's all about the spend. Uh, if we think about some of the drivers from your sales and marketing to your R&D, how do you think about what you're spending today and how that will ramp up over the next three to five years? Yeah. So, look, we're already on a on a kind of unit economics on a product that we're selling. We're making a, a, a very decent margin mm-hmm. that we're pretty happy with. Mm-hmm. But of course, we're spending more than the gross margin that we're making on, on the product. And it's simply because, yes, to, uh, to have superior technology earlier gives you a competitive advantage. And and look, frankly, we, there's a number of kind of, I'd say, smaller companies in Australia that, uh, and I don't want to sound kind of disrespectful, but they might not have the budgets, you know, and, and hence also the, the product quality isn't there where it, where it could be or where it should be. I think the, the the serious player in Australia is V2 Foods, which you might have heard of. They they got the pretty serious funding. We very confidently think we can beat them, uh, but we have to be fast. And uh, and you know because you're up then against global players like Impossible Foods, like Beyond Meat, like uh, uh, you know many others who all are well funded. Yeah. I think you'll never have a situation where one company dominates every market equally. You'll have more, I'd say, regional strength. Where those two companies are very very strong in the US mm. but uh, they, they're very very weak for instance in Asia Pacific right so you also got to pick your battles in terms of where you want to uh, double down in terms of priority and then again this, this is the regional priorities but then you have also different uh, what you're replicating is proteins right there's there's just so many opportunities we haven't spoken about we can replicate seafood 
you can make uh, uh, bacon, ham, pork, lamb. Uh, you can make uh, a cheese, yogurt. Like the, the again, the range is just speaking. Every of those is a multi, multi billion dollar category. So we mm -hmm. certainly do not want to be everything for everybody. We're picking our battles and 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 want to be want to have unique strength in some of those unique segments. That's a really good segue to talk about some of those strategies for growth. Always I find startup businesses, you've got a million things you want to do, but if we think near term, what is it that you're really going to be focused on? Is it about, you know, more products and more categories? Is it global expansion? Is it more contracts in Australia? Yeah, so we have we have our own kind of internal KPIs until the next cap raise, so approximately in a year's time we will have five or six highly differentiated products in market. And if I say highly differentiated, means if I give a product to you in a blind test, in a blind test, you don't know what is what. Mm. More than 50% of people will say, I like your product more than Beyond Meat, which is the global market leader, because that's what we had before. And it's not easy to achieve, right? Like they, they had hundreds of millions of R&D dollars. So that's, that's our ambition. Mm -hmm. Uh, to to be at least parity and potentially better than Beyond Meat, and equally, you know, people will be very confused: is this real meat? Is this not real meat? There won't be a clear correlation. You'll be just very confused. So that's we'll have five highly differentiated products in the market. We'll be with uh, uh, two retailers, two out of the three retailers in market, obviously ranged, as well as at least 100, 1,000 venues, mm. and we'll have the first presence in, I'd say, at least two or three Asian markets. Right, as well as uh, a patent launch. Then, once we achieve that, we plan to raise a significantly bigger round, which then will fuel much more of the product expansion as well as the global expansion. Exciting runway. And my last question I always ask is around MA. Um, two questions on that. One is Do you see that as a way for you guys to grow, or is it different in your category in terms of it's really just the RD investment? And two, do you think industry wide you'll see consolidation from some of those big brands that you mentioned, or even, you know, you said uh, one of the companies has already done an acquisition? How do you think about those two? Yeah, I think. There'll be more and more of the of the big global multinationals. I think they'll they'll be buying mm -hmm. companies because that's for them exposure to to that space. So I think that's one angle. In, in terms of for us, look, we're mainly focused really building on the most exceptional. I, I think we consider two core capabilities. One is the most exceptional R and D and technology team in the country, or possibly in Asia Pac, mm -hmm. where we even we're cooperating with uh, you know uh, universities with global research organizations where we just want to become an authority and uh, and I think what could be an MNA is really maybe we, we we could end up buying a very specialized company that has a very unique technology that kind of fits to us yeah. and the second key aspect is really build build a brand or brands in the future that just are absolutely loved by consumers so so I think MNA is not such a priority. I'd yeah. say at least not in the next two or three stage, but two, apologies to two or three years, but that could change in the future. Fantastic. Well, Jan Pack is founder and CEO of Alternative Protein Company or G Foods. Thank you so much for your time. I feel as though we've only just started to see some of those um, categories that you're operating in come through. So let's circle around over the next couple of uh, months and see where the business is at. 
Thank you so much, Elise, and uh, make this the best podcast. Uh, <laughs> let's start in Australia, but uh, soon at least Asia Pack, that's the ambition. Thank you so much for your time. Likewise, we love our homegrown ones. Thanks again. <laughs> Speak soon.